art lovers and welcome to another episode of the Sight and Insight podcast with me, Judy Curtis, the lovely Lawin Conninagle and the fabulous David P. Curtis. So have we got a great show for you today because after our last one when we were talking about um, all the people in the cubicle on one side of the brain and all the flower lovers on the other side of the brain, we felt that perhaps we could follow up on, on this and just whet your appetites for Connie's presentation on February 24th, I believe it's a Sunday, when she will be talking about a voyage of vision from right to left and back again which has some fascinating information for you. So I hope you won't look at this as something that's um, too much to think about. Connie can make this very accessible to you and it can only help painting, uh, the, any painting that you want to do because it should, certainly helps you find a way to, to think about things differently. Before we uh, move on with that, I just want to share a thought with you about a book I've been reading called M. The Man Who Became Caravaggio. I always think it's interesting to know about um, the person behind the artist. Uh, this is written by Peter Robb, who's Australian. I've got to tell you, the Australians write in a very unusual manner. Uh, so this is a definitely art history. There's some very interesting information there. I didn't know much about Caravaggio at all. Some of his painting is absolutely uh, exquisite when you see how how well he could do some of these paintings and what the influences were uh, at that time. Uh, he's in Rome, and they, uh, there's a, a big Spanish contingent there, and the the Pope and the Church are all vying for uh, for control of the uh, of the of the cities. Uh, so there's there's a lot going on, and they're trying to uh, also stop artists painting particularly what they want to paint and they have to paint a certain way for to to show um, something that's approved by the church you might say so there's some very interesting things in there so if you like reading uh, art books this might be a bit different uh, and if anybody reads it and has uh, any uh, insights they want to share with me I'd be happy to have them because as I say the Australians have a unique way of writing <laughs> However, enough of uh, enough of me. Let's jump right into um, a voyage of vision because this. Uh, after we talked about it in our last episode, we realised there was so much more that we could follow up with. Uh, Connie's presentation, as I say, will be on February twenty fourth, and uh, this will give you a preview as to what she's going to be uh, discussing in that presentation. So, uh, without further ado. Take it away, Miss Connie. <laughs> All right. Okay, so um, what we're talking about, what Judy's referring to, is that um, there's a lot of information now about um, the two sides of the brain. The left side being um, focused on logic, language, uh, reasoning, and the right side, which is more visual, spatial. And... Um, there's um, there have been books coming out. Um, a woman, Betty Edwards, came. Um, she wrote them probably the most um, um, insightful book about about um, drawing from the right side of the brain, and that was published in 1979. It was a long time ago. She then published another one in 1986 called 
drawing from the artist within. And then I think there's some revisions and updates that that came out in in the 21st century and uh, I think 2012. And um, and her emphasis was on drawing, and um, and how we can learn to draw not necessarily by doing cast drawings and things like that, but but by tricking the left side, the dominant uh, language side of the brain, into not being interested in what you're doing and letting the right side come out and play. <laughs> so uh, what she, uh, her, her biggest, I think, claim to fame is that she talked about turning something upside down, taking taking a photograph and turning it upside down or taking what she did is she took a a drawing that Picasso had done and she turned it upside down and she had workshops and people would draw that and what happens is that once the the man the the portrait that Picasso had done was turned upside down you don't really see the features of the man but uh, the right side comes out and tries to figure it out and be and um, and the left side gives up on it because uh, the left side loves to recognize things name them name the object and get on with the program you know and the right side says well it, it sort of comes out and plays with uh, incomplete evidence so uh, it loves to figure out a pattern. Uh, from incomplete information, like what is it? What's going on here? And so, um, so it turned out that Betty Edwards was really onto something because the drawing um, uh, uh, something upside down. Uh, you know, once you turned it right side up, you went waha. You know, there it is. This is a guy, and it was drawn much better than somebody would do if they already had known that it was a man in a suit and uh, holding something and blah, blah, blah. So um, so we're going to focus on that, um, on this right and left side, but not from drawing. We're going to look at it from the painting side. And in painting, we actually move right to left and back again. That's... Hence, the name <laughs> "A Voyage of Vision," and uh, I'll let David talk a little bit more about that. Well, it's interesting what you said because it, it reminded me of. Uh, I think I've told the story, but it does apply to what you're talking about. <clears throat> I had to go and address uh, young kids. Uh, I think it was fifth grade class, young ten year old, twelve year old kids. And um, when I thought I had a clever idea to explain art to that. My lineage, uh, my teacher studied with a teacher who studied with a teacher, and we could trace the lineage all the way back to the Renaissance of hand me down from one teacher to the next. And uh, so I thought that was that was clever. I could teach the kids. Well, the kids weren't interested in that. That wasn't <laughs> you know even in their in their vocabulary. So I realized I was losing them. So I said, all right, kids, look out the window. You know, and all these schools have these. Nowadays, big picture windows that look out on the, so all the daydreamers, all the creative kids can look out. And I said, what do you see? And they all came back in unison, trees. <laughs> and the teacher was smiling away like, I'm proud of my kids for identifying the trees. And I said, no, you didn't see trees. 
And they looked at me and, uh, you're wrong. And as soon as I said they were wrong, I said, you saw green. And as soon as, they, they, their eyes just twinkled awake. Teacher was very disappointed that I said they were wrong. <laughs> but but they, their eyes came alive because they said, he, that's what we did see. He, he's telling us something that was obvious, but, and, and it was the, I think it was from going from the left to right side of the brain that the kids were now like, it's recess time. Let's go <laughs> out the door and uh, enjoy things. So they paid attention. I just spent the rest of the time just talking a little bit about color. Um, and, and your title, I think, is so fascinating because obviously it reminds me of The Hobbit, uh, that we're, we're, you know, in the mythology, the Lord of the Rings mythology. Is, um, is, is, and that's sort of what you're doing, isn't it? When we, yeah. we, we're exploring the mythologies of um, whether it's personal or whether it's the big mythologies, but it's that, it's that, um, it's not an analogy, it's a, what do we call it? Uh, metaphor. metaphor. Metaphor, right? It's much yeah. more in those terms. Um, but it is, it is this, I think it's so true that we, the left side can, stifle uh, the other side so as you said turn it upside down so nobody can recognize it and then what you're going to do is is draw the, uh, the other story that that might help too is a is a uh, artist friend of mine Paul Ingbertson um, who studied with Ives Gamble as well runs a school in up uh, in Massachusetts um, and I think some one of the students told me locked him in a room he had a um, very abstracted drawing of something that they couldn't really figure out, but some people did. So he showed this drawing and he said, how many people here recognize what, it's, what it is or what it suggests? And he took the names down of the people who recognized it. And he said, okay. He turned it to the wall. He said, I want you all to paint it from memory now. And so the ones who never recognized what it was, he found did a better job in memorizing and putting it together than the ones who knew it was a figure standing in a door. And as soon as they put that image in their mind that it was a figure in a door, they they tried to make it that way. But as the ones who didn't know what it was tried to remember the shapes. Yeah. It just as as an abstraction, I don't want to use that word, but it's it's um, not it's it's that they understood the purity of it, you know, that, that mm -hmm. uh, vision can be, you can memorize things maybe into a greater degree using the right side than the logical side that figures it out. And also the logical side tends to, once we name something and, and say we recognize it, we tend to drop the information, the visual information. So that's the trick. That's why we want to kind of trick that part and, and have it say, I don't want to get involved in this, and, and let your right side come out and say, wow, I see a pattern, I see green, I see, I see a, something next to it, but, but not, with a, a, not labeling those yeah. things. Uh, yes, I, I think if we if we spend too much time identifying things, we end up as painters painting them that way. Yeah, and that's why, I, like a, a person will say to me, uh, David, I painted a uh, house. I said, well, what kind of architecture do you think it is? Well, I don't know. And I said, well, that's good mm. because the more you know, the less you know. In this case, you did a beautiful job of the house. 
And then somebody else came along and said, oh, yeah, that's a great uh, interpretation of colonial architecture. Mm-hmm. And I said, you communicated without knowing that you were communicating, but you communicated that way. And I, and I think that that's a small little tip of the iceberg type of ex- explanation yeah. as to what maybe transpires between the artist and then the viewer of what they I think see. there's another thing that, you know, um, many times when we're outdoors painting, we, uh, we talk about squinting, you know, squinting to see what you're, you're looking at. And, and the purpose behind squinting, at least from the perspective that we're talking about right now, is that once you get, um, it, you squint, you get the, um, the outline of some image. But once you've got that outline, you want to stop. You don't want to go any further. You don't want to get into the details of that image. And that allows you to stay within that right side dominant visual spatial mode. It, it, uh, it keeps it large, mm. you know, as opposed to it being recognizable. Oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, Bob Jones's house, right. you know. It's, it's number three. 322 Riverside <laughs> or something like that you know it doesn't become it's it's a it's an image it's a um and it's um it's without too much information it's the ship in the fog yes you might that's see, a good way you might see the sail way up here floating in the air but you might not see the hull and it was a hull of a ship <laughs> oh, please. But, but as it came out of the fog, we would see it. But you're absolutely right. The longer you can hold back on identifying the object, and the more pure you could use that right side, as you say, I think, I think that the better painting becomes. Yeah. Um, it's, that, it's that feeling that allowing it to assemble itself much like probably it does within the brain assemble itself or, or the yeah. imagination is the imagination separate from the brain um no no not at all in fact most of the work that we're looking at um there's there's a lot of research now on neuroplasticity and that means that in fact the the brain we used to when we were when i was growing up actually um they had a uh belief that the brain matured to about age 30 and then that that uh our brains didn't didn't go it was was all downhill from there it was downhill you know you lost neurons and uh, you know you drank too much and this kind of thing but that's not true in the field of neuroplasticity, what it means is that our brains are are changing, growing, uh, morphing, evolving into something different constantly, constantly. And the imagination is critical in in learning new things. And um, the more we we uh, imagine things, mentally practice things. The better off we are. So um, so there's a lot of work on uh, imagination. Plus, I believe that there's a lot on painting and imagination. It's all it's all very interesting. It's very useful. I might not be a painter per se, but when I look at some of the uh, things, some of your written material, Connie, I I find that it. It helps me understand things from a writing point of view. Um, there was one bit here that I noticed in your notes that said, 
um, where you were aware of feeling alert, but relaxed, confident, interested, absorbed in. Um, and this feedback indicates that when we are in the right side, we are feeling happier and less critical. The pleasure may come from uh, resting the left side for a while. And I, from my point of view, That's when I true. write, I suddenly discovered I have an inner editor who never shuts up, who constantly <laughs> carps about what I'm doing. And I found it really hard over recent years to be able to, to be able to put words together without, um, without feeling that somebody is going to criticise this because I'm criticising it. And mm-hmm. therefore, how on earth do I shut this, this voice up so that I can just get the thought down and edit it later? And it's really difficult. Mm. Um, talk about writer's block. And it, it, uh, I, I know the more I studied about how to be a good writer, the more I had to think about what I was doing instead of just playing and just writing it down as it came and and just getting the idea down there, which I imagine for a painter is you've got to get your undertones in there, you've yeah. got to get your... You're trying to get your drawing right, you're trying well, to get perspective well. right, but still you have the opportunity as oil painters to put another layer right. on it's or that, it's scrape it's that it phrase off. that you just said, it's getting it right. Yeah. But whose opinion is right? <laughs> well, yeah. It, um, it's usually and, the left side that wants to say, this is right, this is wrong. But yeah. the right side plays with the idea of it being ambiguous. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think my right side... Is it the right side that uh, it's not big enough or it's overtaken by the, cu- <laughs> the cubicles are moving oh, over? You've got a big the, right they've side. got cubicles all over the grass and they, they can't. They all can't. over the grass. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We were talking about observation and looking and, and how you observe things and, and really seeing. And I, I think last week or last time we did a podcast, I said, Well, I see things, but I don't always take them in. Uh, and you and David. We're talking about, well, in this illustration you were going to use in, in uh, your lecture, Connie, um, it shows us a bridge from the left mm-hmm. to the right-hand side, and on the bridge are these people who are all talking. I never even saw the bridge. I saw the cubicles on one side <laughs> and the grass and the flowers on the other, but I didn't see, I didn't notice the bridge. It's and I funny. thought it's interesting about how you can, I mean, David, you talked about, well, you can train somebody to see I don't know how you can train somebody to see that, you know, somebody like me that just doesn't observe. I I see, but I don't always take it in. Well, you train somebody, and and the preference was always, um, in in going back to the Renaissance, Caravaggio's time, I'm sure, how old was he when he started? Uh, it does, it's not specific, not, apparently. Yeah. Just, it, I think he was apprentice when he was, I don't know, 14, 15. Usually like that's that. the age yeah. that the... the uh, uh, I think if there was any child genius in painting, uh, you have a Mozart music, you might have a, a Mickey Rooney in theater, I don't know. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think in painting, it's there's a lot of maturation there. There's a lot of maturing processes that have to go on. Uh, you have to be really old. <laughs> oh well, good, I'm getting there. <laughs> to be a good painter, no, I, I think it's I think it's at that age, fourteen, fifteen, that you would want to get somebody and train them, and then I think you're they're at the age where the the apprentice can be molded more because he still has three or four years to go before he's mm. m- mature. So are you suggesting that um, I'm so mature now that I'm past it, I can't learn no, these no, no, things? No, 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 I don't mean it that way. Uh, I think that that's how you get the great artists. 
mm-hmm. is by doing that. And then that, then the teacher is teaching them what is right and what is wrong. Mm. And I don't think that that's true necessarily as a painter gets along, as Connie has become a painter, as I become a painter. Mm-hmm. I think we realize that it's not right and wrong anymore. It's how you want to interpret it, how you mm-hmm. see it. It's, um, it's, it's this, this bridge that you walk across, you know, mm-hmm. and um, to communicate to the two sides. And yeah. I, I think that's, and I think that's m- the next thing to talk about is, yeah. you know, how does this code go from, you know, the database right mm-hmm. and, and then right. over to the people who are going to take all that data and assemble it into something structurally? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of what we're doing as painters. We do have to have that logical side, but we have to play a lot. Yeah. And I think some of the painters, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the modern day painters uh, don't want to play enough or experiment enough. Uh, would they be afraid to see something coming out of the fog that wasn't expected to come out of that fog? It could be. <laughs> you know. Well, and the other thing I want to say is that in talking about it in these terms, we want to talk about it that way, but really painting is is a whole brain activity. Mm-hmm. So I do want to so emphasize that. So it isn't just that. one side. It's, no, it isn't. You need to work both of them. It yeah. isn't. And, and uh, in fact, that's, that's the reason why we're talking. I mean, we may say that Betty Edwards has come on and hit on something that emphasizes the right side, but in our painting process, we are moving back and forth to gain that that whole uh, finished piece. So that's it. So, folks, we need both sides of the brain working together. Uh, and if you can't find your bridge from one side to another, then join the club. Uh, again, this Call is a, us up. <laughs> this is such a fascinating subject that, once again, we've, uh, we've covered a lot of information in a short time. Uh, but that's it uh, for this week. And in case you haven't noticed, we've suddenly switched to a, what is it, a bi-weekly... Bi-monthly? Bi-weekly. Every other week um, for our format for the moment, twice a month, uh, because it's a busy time of the year for us all, and due to various commitments, it's difficult to to get together to to put these podcasts out, because you might not realise this, but there's a lot of research and uh, and, and note-taking and discussion that goes into producing these. Uh, Connie works very hard on getting the information for us so that David and I can uh, chip in with our bit and look really good. So thank you, Connie, for all the work oh, you're, you're doing. <laughs> we just get the chips. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Connie gets the logs. <laughs> so anyway, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this discussion. I hope that you're interested enough to perhaps sign up for the uh, the next uh, uh talk that Connie's giving again it's february 24th we'll put a note out to tell you how you can sign up space is limited so until uh, we meet again it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them thanks for listening mm-hmm.